Hello and welcome. You're listening to Shopology on Edge Radio. I'm Dr. Louise Grimmer from the University of Tasmania. And each week on Shopology, we dive into the world of retailing, marketing and consumer behaviour. This week, we find out what it's like living under lockdown in Melbourne. I'm chatting with retail expert Dr. Jason Pallant from Swinburne University about the impact of Melbourne's stage four restrictions on the retail industry and consumer behaviour. That's coming up later on the show. But first, let's find out what's making retail headlines this week. Making retail headlines this week. Coronavirus has hit four major supermarkets in Melbourne, with staff members forced to isolate. Four coal stores in Melbourne have been deep cleaned as staff members returned positive tests for COVID-19 on Tuesday. Staff working shifts at Coburg on Sydney Road, Altona, Cardinia Lakes and Elstonwick have been affected with a small number of employees deemed close contacts and asked to self-isolate. In a statement, Coles confirmed it will continue to work with the Victorian Department of Health and Human Services to finalise contract tracing. The supermarket giant advised all stores had been deep cleaned and were trading as normal. Victorian coronavirus cases rose by 410 on Wednesday, taking the total number of infections to more than 15,500. And in international retail news, New York is facing a retail nightmare with Manhattan struggling to recover. Natalie Wong reports for the Financial Review that it's been almost two months since Manhattan started to reopen, but shoppers just aren't around. Wealthy New Yorkers have decamped for the summer or longer. Storefronts are boarded up in Soho, while the Times Square and Fifth Avenue footpaths are quiet as a city devoid of office workers and tourists tries to regain its footing. New York was already dealing with a glut of retail space and the pandemic is making it worse. Average asking rents in Manhattan, which have been sliding for years, plunged to the lowest level since 2011 in the second quarter and vacancies are growing in prime shopping districts. Then there are the bankruptcies. Brooks Brothers and Neiman Marcus Group are just two on the growing list of companies that have filed for Chapter 11, potentially adding to a glut of empty stores. It's easy to understand why Manhattan is hurting. Midtown's office workers are at home and many are expected to stay there for months. The same is true of international tourists with a 40% decline seen this year. In addition to national chains, it's estimated that as many as one-third of the city's 230,000 small businesses will close for good as restaurants and bars struggle to pay rent with social distancing sapping business. So far, landlords are trying to avoid price cuts as they wait for a rebound. Still, they're losing patience amid pressure to make their own debt payments. Lawsuits are piling up as many tenants continue to withhold rent payments. With retail getting hammered, not many new leases are being signed and growing vacancies could force landlords to turn to pop-ups, flexible lease arrangements and payment deferrals in order to find tenants. And that's what was making retail news this week. I'm Louise Grimmer and you're listening to Shopology on Edge Radio 99.3 and online at edgeradio.org.au. (music) 
Melbourne has been in stage four lockdown for one week now with five weeks still to go. So I thought I'd check in with one of our regular guests, retail expert Dr Jason Pallant from Swinburne University. Jason lives in Melbourne and so he has a first-hand experience of what life is like in Melbourne at the moment. And I spoke with him earlier via Zoom. Jason, it's been over a week now of stage four restrictions in Melbourne. How are things going for you? Yeah. Um, hi, Louise. Good to be back. Um, wish it was under happier circumstances. It seems every time that we chat, uh, retail things get worse. I hope that's not us causing it or me causing it. I uh, hope not too. To <laughs> yeah. But um, look, stage four lockdown, I think um, it's something that it was a bit of a surprise, but I think we also did see it coming um, in that we'd bought, sort of been told that if numbers hadn't come down or didn't start to come down quickly, we were this is what was going to happen. I think we were all hoping that we wouldn't get here, but but we have. It's um it's been tough. I mean, it's the advantage that we have this time is that we have had some experience. We know what to expect, and I think a lot of people had already adjusted their lifestyles and. Uh, working from home and all of those kind of things. Um, the key differences, at least for me personally, is is not having childcare. Um, so, you know, not being an essential worker um, and, and my wife not being an essential worker either means we've got, you know, our son at home with us but still trying to work and teach and occasionally do research. Um, so I think that's harder and that's been hard for a lot of people. But the people I've spoken to actually, it's been really interesting um, response and that I think people have sort of gone, well, if this is what needs to happen and this is what actually will work, then let's do it. Mm. Let's get in there. Let's do it properly. And I think we're all just hoping that in around, you know, five weeks now, we're a week in, uh, that we can get back to, you know, some form of uh, normal life, go outside of a five-kilometre radius, um, you know, go to a different cafe, uh, something like that. How's it been going out and about wearing a mask and seeing everyone else wearing a mask? Has that been a confronting um, experience for you? Yeah, so I think for me personally, actually, honestly, it's been in some ways reassuring because, I one, I'm not seeing many people. I think that's the first step, which is, is weird. Um, you know, when we're doing our now one hour of exercise we're allowed per day, you know, I'll, I'll walk the the dog around the the lake or or down one of our walking trails and I'm seeing like a quarter or less of the amount of people that that I would usually see on those walks which I think is is one you know confronting thing and then two obviously everybody is wearing a mask but in some ways that I take that as a positive because it, it means that the majority of people you know are doing the right thing it's it's it can be hard looking at the the news reports and the media because I think they tend to focus on you know, the fines that get handed out or people doing, you know, the wrong thing or we've seen, you know, people going into Bunnings without a mask and starting a fight. But seeing, you know, your average person walking their dog by themselves, keeping distance from everybody else and wearing a mask is sort of in some ways reassuring that, you know, people are doing the right thing and and hopefully we will get through this. A few weeks ago, we spoke about how stage three restrictions might impact retailing in Victoria and also at a national level. How has all of that changed now with this stage four restriction that's come into play? Yeah, isn't it interesting? You know, we were talking about, 
using the last lockdown as a bit of evidence of what we could expect. And, you know, we had some numbers about what a stage three lockdown looked like in Victoria. And of course, what we've got now is, is that complete, almost complete retail lockdown uh, and, and closures, forced closures. I mean, mm-hmm. what we were looking at a few weeks ago was some retailers choosing not to open, but the majority being open uh, in various ways. And now it's, it's not even a choice. It's, you are closed unless you are a supermarket, uh, pharmacy or some other kind of essential um, store. And so it's, it's really quite a different beast. Um, what I think has been interesting to think about is that, you know, they're allowing in some circumstances staff to still go to store to service sort of click and collect or online deliveries. Online yeah, that's what I wanted to, sorry to interrupt, Jason. That's what I wanted to ask you about because I wasn't clear about that. Um, so we, we know that um, deliveries are still happening and click and collect. Does that mean that staff are actually allowed to go into those businesses but just be behind the scenes to enable that to happen? Yeah, so that that's my understanding of it and that's what I've seen some businesses doing where they're actually then using the store uh, that is closed to the public, so the public can't go in, but staff can go in there by themselves and, you know, pack pack things or um, or put them in deliveries, do that sort of uh, delivery model or even click and collect. But even some of that wording is quite, has been quite confusing. I think it's been evolving over time where, you know, they're saying contactless click and collect. And so does that mean you can put something at the front of the store and someone can come to, to collect it? Or does that mean, you know, you have to put it in a delivery post box or it has to be in a uh, something completely separate from where the staff are. There's still honestly a little bit of confusion about what that means. Um, And we've also even seen some retailers just flat out say they're not even going to do that. Um, It was reported, you know, David Jones, Country Road and a few others saying they're not even going to offer click and collect because that's too much of a risk and it's too much to ask their staff. They're only going to do online deliveries. So I think that's been really interesting where I guess there's been some hope that you know, it's not that retail is closed. It's just that physical retail uh, is closed, but you mm. can still order, you can still shop. Um, but I think we have to expect, you know, even bigger declines in, in retail spending in Victoria from this round because, you know, you now don't have the option. The store is not open even if you go there. And uh, some of those stores <laughs> that, that did uh, remain open last time, like hardware stores, and office supply stores are clearly not going to be open this time. Is that right? Yeah. So the big question people kept having was around Bunnings, right? Yeah. I think with people <laughs> spending spending more time at home, that was sort of uh, a bit of an escape and, and something to do and, and something to keep you occupied while you're in lockdown. Um, and the clear messaging and, and, in fact, the Premier used Bunnings as an example of the restrictions and said, you know, Bunnings will be open for tradespeople only and mm-hmm. only for sort of what they class as essential construction work. So if somebody needs to urgently renovate their house because it's leaking or something, you know, hardware is going to be required and tradespeople are going to be required, but it just will not be open for, um, for retail customers. You just can't go in there, but they will do click and collect. And so what I've seen some retailers doing is, you know, you order online and you nominate 
or you pick from a specific time window that mm. you could go and pick up the products and you drive to a dedicated car park, you sit in your car, you know, you can't get out of your car, you pop your boot, somebody comes in, comes out, you know, in masks and gloves and everything and puts those products in your boot and you drive away. Like that's the sort of level of interaction or click and collect that that is happening. So, you know, you're not seeing any of that browsing. You're not seeing a lot of what people enjoy. It's something like a retail store and particularly a Bunnings of walking through and, you know, that discovery process that you have that you have in retail and, and that so many people enjoy. Mm. That's going to, that's very hard to replicate. It's just not going to happen because we can't have people walking around. Um, you just don't have that. No, I mean, that's one of the, the joys for me. When I go shopping, I usually, you know, if I'm, say I'm going into Kmart, I, I usually end up not buying the thing that I went in there to, to originally buy, but I've got a trolley full of stuff that I didn't know I needed. And I think you're right. That's one of the, the sort of key ways that retailers have appealed to shoppers, isn't it? This sort of um, you never know what you're going to find and browse around and pick up things that you didn't know you needed. All of that's come to to a halt and, of course, all of that's had an impact on things like um, consumer confidence, retail trade figures. What's been going on there, Jason? Yeah, so consumer confidence, even on a national level, has continued to fall over the last few weeks. We're at a level um, that's equivalent to where we were around April when sort of things were first being locked down and there was all of that uncertainty. Um, and so we're back to that level of, low consumer confidence um, and it's interesting to think that that's a national figure um, and so what I think we're seeing is that you know in in Melbourne we at least like we know what's happening we know we are in stage four lockdown we know that we have too many cases and we know that if we don't fix it you know we've got a we've got a big issue but we've also got a sort of a strategy I guess that's been told to us as we think this will work and this is the time frame and, and et cetera. So we have at least some awareness of, of what's happening. I think what you're seeing in other states is that real wariness of, well, what if we get a few cases here? Is that going to happen to us? What, what do we need to be doing in advance to sort of prevent that from happening? And, and that does flow on to consumer behaviour, you know, mm. the, uh, Still, definitely people are out shopping where they can, but it, it's definitely having an effect on people less likely to go to public spaces if they can avoid it, you know, and, and even just people not spending money that they, um, when they don't need to, because who knows what's going to happen with, you know, employment, who's going to happen to different sectors. Um, this is going to be, I think, a uh, something we're going to be dealing with for quite some time. And I don't think we've seen the full fallout from it. I think consumers know that we're so aware of things these days that that low consumer confidence um, does make sense. Uh, and I think it it's flows through into some of the retail figures that we've seen. Um, so the ABS recently released their June um, figures. So sales from May to June overall went up, which makes sense with some of the restrictions easing around the country. But what's really interesting is that the volume was down uh, in quarterly sense. So from March to June. So people were buying less things. And it's the largest fall in volume since the GST came into effect in 2000. That's amazing, isn't it? It is. It puts it into perspective of 
you know, what a big impact this has been on the amount of stuff that people uh, are buying. We've talked uh, earlier about um, the, this increasing focus on online shopping and also click and collect. What are some of the other strategies that retailers have had to put in place for this um, six-week lockdown? Yeah, so I think it's it's forced everybody to to refocus on their their online space. Obviously, um, I'm speaking you know primarily just in Melbourne here, but I think you're seeing as well some other. Uh, retailers taking this opportunity to, I guess, reflect and think about how do they want to do business going forward? What's the most efficient way for them? We've seen recently Coles saying they're actually going to stop printing their their paper catalogs and sending those to people ma- people's mailboxes and they're just going to do that all digitally now. And mm, whether that's, that's going to have an impact on older shoppers, isn't it? And that's right. I think that's the thing that we can sometimes forget about with some of these innovations and evolutions that you know i personally don't really use a a, a coles catalog but many many people do mm. yeah many um, shoppers many um you know i don't like to lump people into groups but predominantly um older shoppers and also people who are on strict budgets often rely on um sort of comparison shopping and they use those paper catalogs they do and and you know we had this um you know i had this discussion with one of our um colleagues online recently around you know, value-based shoppers uh, will actually use that as as a really big part of their mm. their shopping plan. You know, as you said, yep. people who are um, on on very tight budgets will very closely monitor how much the price of mm. those different items are, and and the catalog is one way that they do that. Mm. And so, um, I, yeah, that's that is a bit of a shame for some of those people. I think. Yeah, me too. I've done some. Um recently some consumer um, focus groups around um, how people get information about products for sale in the supermarket. And there's a huge cohort of shoppers who actually get those catalogues every week and they will go and buy some of the items from Coles and they'll go and buy some of the items from Woolworths depending on what the prices are in those catalogues. And other people actually just really actually enjoy reading those catalogues when they arrive um, in their letterbox. So I think that's a that's a very interesting move from Coles, isn't it? It's certainly going to have an impact on um, some large groups of shoppers. What about some of the challenges for the area that I'm really interested in, which is, of course, local and independent retailers? You know, some of those smaller stores just don't have the marketing budgets, I guess, that some of their larger competitors have. What are we seeing in that yeah. space? Yeah, so these are the these are the retailers and the brands that I, I guess I'm most concerned about for this Melbourne lockdown um, for a couple of reasons. As you said, they don't have, you know, the advertising budgets that your bigger brands have, so they can't uh, just start plasting ads everywhere or on the TV or through streaming services or online to tell everybody about their brand. And I think why that, that can be a bit of an issue is we talked before about that discovery part of, of retail and I think that's where a lot of local and independent retailers um, really really thrive is on being in those interesting local areas and and people just walking by and and wandering around and seeing a very nicely displayed store that's different from anything that they've seen wandering in there and discovering their products and I think that's how they end up getting a lot of their customer base Uh, that that's obviously 
almost impossible to do now if your store's not allowed to be open and people are not allowed to go outside of their own radius. So people can't go, you know, more than five kilometres from their home. So how do you build a customer base um, when you can't get those customers just walking by? I think that that is quite a big challenge. Although on the flip side, I think there is actually potentially an opportunity there where because people have to stay within their own radius and they're getting bored of walking the same path every day, (laughs) we're seeing people, you know, go to different parts of their suburb Mm. that they maybe have never gone to before. And maybe they discover a store that they've never seen. And so if that store can think of a way that even if they can't be physically open, they can have some sort of social media or online presence that people can engage with or discover as they walk by, then hopefully that's one way that, you know, maybe in the long term, people start valuing their local areas and their local retailers more than we have before. Yeah, that, think- that's really that's a really great point. I think we've certainly seen, um, you know, for most of this year, a real focus on trying to support local retailers so that we don't lose them from our uh, local suburbs and, and city centres. So I think that that's really important. But clearly those local stores that already had um, a pretty strong online presence prior to COVID-19 or in the first lockdown, they sort of got their act together in that area. I think that they're probably the businesses that are going to be able to survive better during um, this lockdown in, in Melbourne, certainly. What about yeah. if we if we talk about now um, retail staff? I mean, this is just, you know, when I heard the news that you guys were going into this um, lockdown again, you know, my first thought, apart from being for you, Jason, was, um, was really about, you know, these retail staff. What, what's the impact, again, on, on this group of, you know, it's pretty precarious work a lot of the time, isn't it, for a lot of these retail staff? Yeah, so it's been, it's been really interesting, as we've seen with, uh, as, as this is tracked out in, in Melbourne, is a lot of discussion around this idea of insecure work. So part of the thing of being, if you're on a, if you're on a casual contract and you've got to pick up shifts wherever you can at whatever business that you can because you're not in a you know an ongoing either part-time or full-time role that can be then really challenging to tell those people stay home you can't go to work because if that's your source of income you know what what does that person do and and retail is one of those sectors that we know has a very high proportion of casual staff and it also has a very high proportion of of younger staff so people under 40 um, and so for them, you know, closing stores uh, is a big deal because if that's the way that you made your income and you did that on your casual shifts and you had your weekend rates to pay your bills and you're now essentially getting nothing, um, what, what do you do essentially? And so the good news for some of those um, staff is that we've seen some retailers now come out and commit to actually paying those staff during this six-week lockdown, mm. even though their stores are closed. Oh, that's great um, news. It is. So we've seen like Wes Farmers and IKEA have committed paying them. And the important thing is that includes casuals. So what they're doing is they're looking at, you know, over this last period, on average, how many hours did you work in a given week or a fortnight? And they're committing to paying those people um, for those um, for those wages, even though 
you know, they physically can't go into work um, and, and there's no work for them to do. And so I think that's really encouraging. Um, the other thing we're seeing is um, Big W have said they're going to redistribute some of their staff to Woolworths because obviously ah. the supermarkets are being inundated and so they're going to keep giving them shifts but just in a different part of, you know, their umbrella or parent company. So this is good. I mean, it's it's good from a personal level. It's just good for these staff, right? It's it's good that people are not going to go hungry and not have any income. But it's also, I think, longer term, it's actually a really smart move for these retailers. My position on this is that I think staff are actually going to become more important to the future of retail, not less. And that's even with the rise of technology and automation and all of those kind of things, because we see that the more we engage with technology, uh, and particularly in a retail setting, it actually increases our desire to interact with other humans, or other people. Um, we know this from surveys that, that shoppers do and, and other um, you know, research firms have done with consumers that the increasing automation, increasing technology in retail stores actually makes people um, desire more interaction with human staff. And so I think holding on to your staff now, if you can, is a really good idea. And it's also thinking about, you know, these are people that have really detailed, in-depth knowledge of a retailer's products and services and the stores and even the customers, you know, the regular mm. customers in some settings. And so letting those people go would be really detrimental, I think, to these retailers longer term. So it's good from a personal level for these staff, but also I think really good for these retailers to hold on to those people and build some of that goodwill so that when we can all go shopping again in hopefully five weeks, um, there are staff there to actually greet us. What do we think some of the longer term impacts of this stage four lockdown in Melbourne are going to be on, on the retail sector? Yeah, I think we have to, so for, from a consumer standpoint, I think we have to expect that there's going to be at least some permanent shifts uh, to some consumer behaviour. I mean, we saw last time when the lockdowns ended, you know, a lot of people went back to, you know, shopping in store and doing all of those kind of things. But there were a lot of people that I think trialled new ways of shopping, new product categories or new brands, and that this is going to force even more of that. I mean, we touched on it earlier that, it's going to force people to try out their local cafes as an example. You know, if you are not going to work anymore and you can't leave your five kilometer radius to go and get coffee from the place next to work, you know, if that's something that's part of your life, you're going to have to do that in your local area. Maybe you're going to try out your local independent grocers rather than one of the big chains, or you're going to try out that fruit and veg market that's down the road from you. Um, I think there's going to be those shifts where people are discovering, you know, new brands, whether they be local or whether they be the online version of a brand that they were shopping from. Uh, and I think we have to expect that some of that behaviour is going to continue. But I also think it's, it's for a lot of people, it's highlighting, you know, what is actually essential to them and what is important to them. Uh, you know, I know personally it's it's put a lot more focus on our home and our family because that is where we are and that is who we're spending time with. I'm much less interested now in 
you know, the new edition of the Jordan ones at Foot Locker that I was planning on getting <laughs> earlier. And I'm now much more interested in, you know, outdoor play equipment for, for our son. And so I think that's something that's going to continue. I agree. I, th- I think there's definitely a shift in the thinking that many consumers have about what sort of products they really need, how many products do we really need. And I think we're, I think we're really going to see um, a flow-on effect uh, as we move into uh, 2021 and beyond. Mm-hmm. Jason, thank you again for coming on Shopology. Um, your insights are always so valuable and so excellent and your personal insights this time too. And, and, you know, we are all thinking of you in Melbourne and, and we wish you all the very best. Thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you as always. That was my special guest retail expert, Dr Jason Pallant from Swinburne University. You've been listening to Shopology and that's all for this week's show. I'm Dr Louise Grimmer. Thanks so much for your company. You can follow the show on Twitter at Shopology Show and you can follow me at Louise Grimmer. Be sure to catch next week's show. You can listen live every Thursday at 5 o'clock on Edge Radio 99.3 or online at edgeradio.org.au and you can listen to each episode of Shopology as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review the show. This really helps other people find us. Till next time, take care. 